Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, um, take them out. And actually, because um, we will, I'll go back and refer to a couple of passages. We're starting a new series um, from, we've done discipleship through the parables of Jesus um, this, pa- this summer. And we're going to focus on ministry uh, from 2 Corinthians. And 2 Corinthians is a book that talks a lot about ministry, uh, especially because Paul is under attack and he has, he has to defend his ministry. Um, so today, I, um, as we were singing the last offering song, I, I just uh, I realized that I forgot to put the PowerPoint in for um, this sermon. So Alice is working on it furiously. But um, let's. So if you have your Bibles out and if you have all those notes um, that that's in, in, inserted in your bulletin, I'm sure it'll help you as I refer to some of the uh, things there. But let's pray. That God will speak to us. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the, the life, death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But not only for him, but for all the saints who have followed. We thank you for the life and the ministry of Paul. And we pray that we will hear your voice as, you, as we focus on this letter. Guide us through your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm going to talk about, uh, from this uh, section, when we should do ministry and what ministry is. And that will, in many ways, are the theme of many, many sermons to come. Uh, but as we look at chapter 2, verses 12 uh, through 3, to si- uh, three 6, um, that will be the theme. So when do we do ministry and what is ministry? So two years ago, along with the news that Shatin Church was offering me this job, um, I got an email from Dale asking me to send him copies of all my credentials mentioned in my CV. So I made copies of my university diploma, my divinity school diploma, recommendation letters from my bishops, um, as well as my ordination certificates. And so I just want you to know, if you want to challenge me uh, at some point because you think I'm, a, I'm doing a bad job... Um, well, I should say maybe when you want to challenge me because I'm doing a bad job. I just want you to know I have all the paperwork that's required for this job. And I can prove to you um, that I have them. I can show them to you that I'm qualified for this job, at least on paper anyway. I think this is actually more than what Paul could say. What Paul could say when his credentials were being attacked years ago. There was no Anglican church that ordained people. There was no church uh, school for apostles uh, that issued diplomas. And unfortunately, his ministry was being challenged in the second Corinthians, in, in the Corinthian church. Despite the fact that the church in Corinth was the church that he planted, he went and lived in Corinth. He went and preached the gospel on the weekends in the synagogues. He shared his life. He shared the message that he has, he has heard. And that church sprang to life. But when he left the church, he was being challenged. His ministry was being challenged. His authority was being challenged. A different group of people, um, so-called the super apostles, came and preached a different message and was trying to discredit Paul in many different ways. And the circumstances didn't line up in Paul's favor either. 
You see, Paul had promised uh, that he would go to uh, the church in Corinth. He would make these visits um, to Corinth. But instead, instead of making those scheduled visits, he had to make an emergency visit, unscheduled uh, visit, because Timothy had brought him some bad news about the church and what was going on in that church. So he went and made an a, a emergency visit, rebuking the church in Corinth. And apparently, that visit didn't go so well, because if you look at uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he calls that visit a painful visit. He, sa- he says uh, in verse 1 that he resolved not to make another visit like it. Instead, he writes a letter, as we see in chapter 2, verse 4. And that letter is soaked with his tears. He tells them how much he loves them. And he sent this letter off with Titus and was waiting to hear from him in Troas to see how the letter was being received. Ah, praise God. So this is um, where we come to our reading. So he explains how he was waiting in Troas in uh, in chapter 2, verse 12, uh, where our reading starts. He's waiting in Troas, but he had no peace of mind. And he moved to Macedonia to be closer to Corinth because he sent Titus off to Corinth and uh, Macedonia is closer. So he wants to go there and wait for uh, Titus there. And no doubt that the Corinthians thought less of him as a result of that because they already thought that Paul was fickle. Remember, Paul said he was going to make a visit. He said yes, but he didn't make that visit. But when he wasn't promised, he didn't say anything. He made that emergency visit. So if you look at chapter 1, verse 17, he defends that decision. When I plan this, do I do it lightly or do I make my plans in a worldly matter so that, you, uh, that in the same breath I say yes and yes and no and no? So what he means is that um, he's saying, well, I, I, made, I said yes before, but I, didn't, I wasn't able to make that visit. Uh, and people are thinking, Thinking, uh, thinking less of Paul because he made that emergency visit, that unscheduled visit. And this, of course, um, is no behavior fit for an apostle, one of these super apostles might say. And so Paul, um, people think that Paul was already fickle. But where people see fickleness in Paul's ministry, Paul sees God's sovereignty. In all of this. So look at how Paul defends his ministry in our reading in verse 14. He writes there, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumphal procession in Christ through us, and, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of Him. You see how he's turning that argument around. Paul says that God in Christ led him to Macedonia as God in Christ led him to Troas. He did so that he could be the fragrance of the knowledge of Christ in Troas and then later in Macedonia. Isn't that what he says? Thanks be to God who always, who always leads us and spreads us through us, uh, spreads everywhere the knowledge, uh, the, the fragrance of the knowledge of him. Despite the fact that he was frustrated, despite the fact that he wasn't, he didn't feel that he was where he wanted to be where he was supposed to be. He says he was able to share the knowledge of Christ wherever he was. And that's the first proof of his apostleship, he's saying, that he is a genuine minister of Christ because he was the aroma of Christ wherever he went. 
So if you're wondering, when should I start my ministry? Where should I start my ministry? The answer is right now, wherever you are. Whatever the situation you are, you are in right now, that's where you should be the aroma of Christ. And people often ask me, what brought me to Hong Kong? The assumption is that God calls some people to a place for a time. But I came to Hong Kong for many different reasons. And I was engaged to a girl who was originally from Hong Kong. That's what, that's what brought me to Hong Kong. Does that mean that I'm less of a minister in Hong Kong because I didn't have a strong sense of calling that God said, go and, and be, be a minister there? My answer to that, to that thought would be, like Paul's, thanks be to God who always leads us and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him. I'm able to share Christ here. And there are others I, I know who are in similar situations. I've met people here in this church who want to go into full-time ministry, who are not quite there, and who are frustrated and are wondering, what am I doing here? What am I supposed to do next? I know there are people who feel frustrated with their jobs, who don't think that they're quite where they should be, and they are wondering why God had put them there. The recent university graduates looking for jobs, looking to find the right next step. And there are students and others working very hard to get somewhere, get to somewhere so they can do, be, uh, be, um, they can start do, doing their ministry there. But what Paul says here is that you are led by Christ now, that you can be the aroma of Christ wherever you are that you can share the knowledge of Christ wherever you are. God has led you as you have given your life to Christ, as you have become the slave of Christ. God leads you wherever you are, and you can be the aroma of Christ. You can be the knowledge of Christ wherever you are. So start doing ministry now, wherever you are. So that answers the question of when do I do ministry? I want to talk a little bit about what is ministry from this text. And he talks um, a bit about, uh, it sounds like as we read uh, verse 14, that in some sense, maybe things will be easy. Things will be great. After all, 1984 NIV, which we read from, uh, translates verse 14 as Christ leading us in this triumphal uh, procession. And these processions were lavish parades uh, conducted in Rome to celebrate great victories um, uh, of the military campaign. I think there are pictures coming up. There are these ostentatious celebrations filled with valiant soldiers, spoils of war, and the most these uh, theatrical pomp and circumstance. It was way. It was a way that the Roman Empire sort of flexed its muscle and showed its prowess uh, to the people of Rome and people of the Roman Empire. These victorious generals led these processions and people followed, and some of the people who followed were actually the uh, people who were captured in the war. The highest honor any Roman general could be given was to lead one of these processions. So in the first reading, it sounds like Christ is the triumphal general who leads his soldiers in this parade. But there have been a lot of debates about this passage, uh, where we fit in in this. Uh, is it with uh, victors or is it with the captors? Let's take a look at the passage again with the latest version of NIV, which captures the essence of Greek here. So the first one is not in 1984, and the, the latest one is there, um, shown on the screen. 
It reads, But thanks be to God who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession and uses us to spread the aroma of knowledge of him everywhere. Did you notice the change there? The image there is not as victors, not with the generals, but as the captors of the war. Paul is saying that he was like a captive being led like uh, by Christ. In fact, it depicts not just Paul, but all Christians being led as spoils of war, as people who belong to Christ now, as slaves of Jesus Christ. And this is a very telling thing. It's a small change, but it really is a significant change because it makes a lot of sense about what, what it says a lot about our ministry, what ministry is. And it makes sense given the context of 2 Corinthians. Here, Paul wants to, in, the, in, in this letter, Paul wants to put himself in contrast to the, of the false apostles who talk about all the glory and the glitz of ministry. If you have lived in 21st century, Maybe he might talk about Christians and pastors who sort of think that they have to wear nice clothes and drive nice cars um, and have all the, uh, uh, the contraptions uh, of modern-day success because God is one of triumph. God is one who blesses his people. But for Apostle Paul, the opposite is true. Christ won, and that is true. He leads us in this triumphal procession, but the way that he won that victory is through suffering. Suffering at a personal cost. He thinks that Christianity, Christians prove their, the genuineness of their ministry by the way that they suffer, like Christ. Just as Christ emptied himself, he became a man and suffered the humiliation of the cross. And it was only through that suffering he won that victory. The ministers, people who do ministry, people who follow Jesus, will bear his resemblance as we follow him. And if you're not convinced that he actually is talking about suffering here, he uses another imagery, doesn't he? He talks about the aroma of Christ. I think that's the next picture and the, the way, the one after. The aroma of Christ. The aroma here is probably an allusion, allusion to the Old Testament sacrifice and to the fact that Christ became that sacrifice that fulfilled all the sacrifice required. He died for us. And now he says that we are the aroma that arises out of that sacrifice. That is to say that we are, um, that we are tied to his sacrifice. The aroma is tied to the thing itself. The smell is tied to the thing itself. And the thing itself is Jesus dying on the cross for us. And we are the aroma that bears his resemblance. The resemblance of suffering, resemblance of one taking the cost, bearing the cost for others. Resemblance that proves, uh, the, 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 the ministry that proves itself as genuine ministry because of the way that it suffers, the way that it resembles Jesus Christ on the cross. And we see Paul suffering in many ways in this text, don't we? He lacked peace. Verses 12 and 13. He was restless. He, he just, he, he couldn't, he couldn't wait to hear from uh, Titus. He cared for his church. And Christian ministry is personal. We get involved in people's lives. We worry about people. And many of you know through uh, this, uh, through your experience, don't you? 
you get involved in children's ministry, and you worry about their, um, the children's home life. You get involved in youth ministry, you worry about what kind of people that, uh, what kind of their, their peer groups and what kind of people that they're hanging out with. You get involved in ministry in general, you get worried about their life, how they're doing. When I was doing ministry in London, I worried constantly about what people, what, uh, the students, uh, I did international student ministry, and so when people became Christians, when they went back home. I worried constantly whether they were going to church in Japan, whether they were being part of a fellowship in China. We get involved in ministry, and that becomes part of our ministry. We worry about the people who we are ministering to. And we see here also another kind of suffering of him bearing the cost like Jesus. Look at verse 17. He writes there, Unlike so many, we do not peddle the word of God for profit. And we see later in chapter 1, he'll explain uh, what he means. And we heard a little bit from the First Corinthians, uh, this sermon series in First Corinthians as well, where he tells the Corinthians that he did not sell the gospel. He did not sell the gospel, but he bore the cost by becoming a tent maker, working full time and sharing the gospel. How he was being supported by other churches, he didn't peddle the gospel He didn't sell the gospel. He bore the cost himself so that he could give, he could preach the gospel for free. We live in a culture where everyone wants something for nothing. Small investment for big return. That's what we want. But Paul is saying something very drastically opposite. He's saying the gospel ministry is not like that. Paul is saying that gospel might be proclaimed freely for other people, free of charge. But people who do the ministry will bear the cost themselves. It will be costly. And many people are involved in some form of ministry in this church. And I hope no one told you that it was all going to be easy. That it will require no sacrifice on your part. That it will just be all triumphs and no heartache. Heartache. Being involved in ministry in this church or at your homes, uh, with your spouses, with your children, in your workplace, um, as you start prayer meetings, evangelistic events, should cost you. Doing ministry in any form should cost something from you. Time to spend with non-Christian friends, taking them up, bringing them to Christianity Explored on Saturday morning. It will cost you. It will cost you money to go out to lunch and dinner, to open your homes, to invite people, to provide hospitality and to show Christ's love. It will cost you to go out and volunteer and crossroads and um, Christian action or whatever. It will cost you money. It will cost you emotional energy, listening to people's problems and praying for them and caring for them. It will cost you time to pray. It will cost you uh, taking care of them. Gospel ministry does not come cheaply. But it's authentic ministry. That's the cost of authentic ministry, people who bear the cost. And that's the aroma that Paul's talking about here. This is what it means to follow Jesus who bore the cost so we could have it for free. And if you're asking, well, this sounds hard, and it is hard. Naturally, you ask, why? Why should I do this? Why should we do this? 
Why sacrifice your physical, emotional health, leisure, time, sleep, and money, whatever? Well, these verses tell us, don't we? Take a look at verse 16. He says there, To the one we are smell of death, to the other the fragrance of life. The gospel, the knowledge of Jesus Christ, is a matter of eternal life and eternal death. I know that there are med school students here. Um, when I was in college, my roommate was a pre-med student, and he worked really hard. And if, I, if you asked him why he worked so hard, part of the reason is just because he wanted to get into med school, and it was very competitive to get into med school. But more fundamentally, I hope, they work hard. They work harder than many other people. They worked harder than many other people because they thought more, uh, something more than their, their grades is worth, is at stake. People's lives are at, uh, are at stake. Many times life will hang on the balance based on the doctor's knowledge of human body. With so much at stake, people worked really hard. In a similar way, at our work, hang the balance of eternal life and eternal death. You know, some will be saved through your personal ministry. As you meet people with one to one, as you open up the Bible and explain to people what the gospel is, some will come to Christ. And those who know Christ will grow to live a fuller life in Christ. And with so many lies and pressures from this world, people's souls and spirits are sick and dead. And we are in the business of life and death giving. That's why Paul says at the end of verse two, uh, chapter 2, verse 16, and who is equal to such a task? It's a tremendous task. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a great privilege to be a part of that ministry, that life-giving ministry. That's why Paul worked so tirelessly. That's why Paul writes that this is the cost of doing ministry. I know you are busy as lawyers and professors and doctors and students and um, whatever, but could I, I just ask you to get involved in some form of ministry? It doesn't have to be church ministry, although church ministry always needs help. It doesn't have to be church ministry. It could be in your workplace. Start a prayer group for non-Christians in your workplace. Pray, start praying. Do Bible studies. Invite people. Do personal ministry. Invite people to read the Bible with you one-to-one. If you're at home, if you're a parent, do ministry with your spouses. Open up the Bible with your wife, with your husband, with your children. Teach your children the Bible of, of Jesus. Because if you invest in people's lives in that way, all of you will be able to say something that Paul says in this chapter. Chapter 3, verse 2 and 3. You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human heart. I was recently talking to a friend um, who came to the church that I student pastored um, when I was training at the Divinity School. And he, he was doing something with his life, and he wanted to, me to know how much... Um, I meant to him in his struggles with faith. 
he wanted me to know actually that he thought that there would be many others who would say the same thing, who would say the same thing in the last day. He is my recommendation letter. He and others like him are my recommendation letters written with the spirit of the living God, not on the tablets of stone, but on the tablets of human hearts. And I, like Paul, I'm not saying this to commend myself in any way, but to explain to you the significance of gospel ministry. I will be able to say, hopefully they will say, we are Hugh's recommendations. God uses people like me, God uses people like you to write on people's hearts, to change life, to bring, uh, bring life from death, heaven to hell, meaning uh, the fullness of life to Christ. That's a great privilege. It will cost you. It will be difficult, but it's still a privilege. So I want to ask you, are you involved in some form of ministry? If not, why not? Why not? Who will be your letters of recommendation? But even as Paul writes this letter to Corinthians, he knows that it's not his work. We know that it's not his work. Corinthians, he says, are a result of his ministry, for sure, to be sure. But he, he says that he didn't, he didn't do the work, that God did the work, doesn't he? He says the spirit of the living God wrote on the tablets of human hearts. And that's not something that we can do. That's not something that you and I can do. And we'll talk more about this as we get to chapter 4 when he talks about this in more, in fuller detail. But I would just want you to know that none of us are equal to this task. None of us can write in people's hearts. So what a great privilege it is that God involves us in his ministry. So Paul ends this section with verse 5. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our competence comes from God. He has made us competent ministers of the new covenant. We can be confident of that that as we do our part of sharing our life, pointing to Christ, God will make us competent ministers by writing on people's hearts. So wherever you are, wherever you are, start being the aroma of Christ. Start pointing to Jesus. Start sharing Christ. Let Christ be known. And have a realistic view of ministry. You know, it will cost you. It will be hard. There will be days when you want to quit because it's hard. Start bearing the cost. That's what being a Christ follower means. But as you do this, be confident that God is writing your letters of recommendation not on pieces of paper, not on Mac and PC, but on the tablets of human hearts. And we'll be able to say on the last day, ah, remember him, how, we, how he has grown. Remember him, the, the guy who really didn't know anything, how he stands there testifying to Christ. Those people will be our recommendation letters. Let's pray.